Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome, streaming people, to Cannell and Bell. Mine is DK. He's out on the slope somewhere, right? Skiing, man. The life is skier snowboarder. Danny. I think he said he's skiing. Okay. He doesn't want to hurt his wrist, so yeah. <laughs> you don't want to fall down. Yeah, you don't want to hurt right, right there. Roger Bell, Tommy Tran here with you as we get ready for the weekend. Happy Friday, everybody! And really, it's all about the NFL Combine. We'll also talk about Bryce Harper as well and a couple other things here over the next hour or so. But without further ado, let's bring in our guy, Brian yeah. Quinn. Uh, been doing work for us on CBS Sports HQ, joining us from the Combine. And, uh, boy, Brady, we know we're going to hear from one Kyla Murray today. What are your uh, expectations? And the last time we actually saw him in, in an interview setting, not so good at Radio Row and Super Bowl week. Yeah, not so good. And he's going to have to answer some questions. Uh, one, about his commitment to football, which, you know, for me, it's it's not as big of an issue uh, for two reasons. One, I think you should have been asking this question to him during last year when he chose to go back as an amateur player to the college football realm and still go play be the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. He very well just could have left and, and went on and just wanted to focus on baseball and play baseball. Instead, he took the risk of potential injury, hurting his chances at baseball and, and both at football to go play his, his only year as a starting quarterback at Oklahoma, win the Heisman, win the Big 12, and go to the college football playoffs. So, you know, his commitment to football, I'm not so concerned by for the, for that reason, but you know, the other part of it is you're always going to have that concern with him. He's such a unique and rare athlete. You're always going to have the concern, much like maybe there was some thought with Russell Wilson at one point in time, that he could eventually leave football and go to baseball if he wanted. Uh, but I think in the, in the case of Kyle Murray, it's a little different because he's a first-round drafted prospect. And he probably will be a first-round drafted quarterback in the NFL. We've just we've never seen that before. So his performance in uh, on the podium, answering that question, how he handles it, and really then how he handles answering the question of why he's not throwing at the combine. It's going to be something the media wants to ask because they feel like it's a big deal. Talking with general managers and, and coaches, they get it. They're not so concerned by it. They come here realizing that the medical and the interviews are really the most important things. The measurables and all the other metrics that come along with it, that really kind of just adds to the overall valuation. But they don't want it to deter them or change how they feel about a certain prospect based on what they've seen on tape. Brady, let me ask you, right? Because by all accounts, like he, uh, Kyler won the, the measurements yesterday, right? The, he got the, you know, the five ten and and um, the over two hundred pounds and so on and so forth. But up at that podium, like you, you just talked about some pointed questions that he'll have to ask uh, answer. Talk to me about the process when you came through. Did you have a team of people prepping you? Because he looked unprepared uh, leading up to to the draft uh, in interviews, whether it was the Dan Patrick Show or at Super Bowl when we got the chance to talk to him. He just looked like he wasn't prepped. Uh, for the type of questions and, and the general media availability that, that he would have to, uh, endure. It's surprising that, you know, that was the case because even if he didn't have any prep, I mean, this is a young man who's been on the national stage at the college football level, uh, in part because of him being a dual athlete, but also winning the Heisman, playing for the national championship. I mean, you would have figured on his own in his head, he would have figured out a way of responding, um, that didn't necessarily show his hand which way he was going until he felt like it was necessary to commit to football. So, you know, I get it. It's a tough situation to be in. As I said earlier, it's a unique situation 
question. We haven't seen an athlete that's really, you know, kind of torn with this predicament of baseball or football and really being projected to be uh, a great prospect at, at both. So uh, I can understand why there's maybe a little bit of hesitation or confusion from him, but uh, there still is no excuse for the messaging sounding the way it did at the Super Bowl. And so the question will be, uh, has he improved with some of the interview prep uh, for this uh, at the podium, but also with the teams and how he answers that question? I, I do have a little inside intel of who he was working with uh, on the West Coast, uh, a guy who's a former NFL head coach, a former NFL player. Um, so he had prepped with him for a, a few days. So I think he'll be much more prepared this time around with how he answers those questions, how he handles himself than what he was before. Brady, obviously you're focusing a lot on Kyler Murray and kind of what he needs to get away from this weekend or what he needs to prove. I, I do want to ask you, because you are obviously, you play the quarterback position, and now you're on our side of things and, and talking to a lot of talent evaluators. So there's the instance of guys like Kyler Murray and, and Baker or even back to Mark Sanchez, guys like that, or even this year with Dwayne Haskins, where you have sort of that one year where you pop and then you come into a draft where there's not a lot of, tape in terms of of going into a second year because so like Sam Darnold went to a second year Josh uh, Allen went to a second year and, and sort of then you can nitpick on their game another year in college like when you look at a guy like Kyler Murray with this kind of buzz and we've used the words like unique and special and different kinds of situation what comes to mind for you here well, I think there's a risk reward always when you've got a guy who's only played one season. And you can look at it one of two ways. Um, either that can scare you because he doesn't have as much experience and you look at him as being very green coming into the NFL, um, or you just evaluate the games that you have and you make a decision based on that. We saw this with Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears, what, a few years ago now. Uh, he only started one season, too, at, at North Carolina. And people were asking the question, why didn't he start sooner? Why didn't he play longer? In Kyler Murray's case, I think it's a combination of things. Baker Mayfield was there, who was a Heisman Trophy winner and had a phenomenal career at Oklahoma. Uh, and then there was baseball, too. So, you know, maybe at that point in time, he was okay kind of taking a back seat until he didn't have to anymore. Um, in, in either sense, though, I think there is con- some concern there about his lack of experience and only having a year of tape to go off of. But the optimistic side of people says, well, this is just a year of tape. Imagine what he could be in the future. Um, so maybe he has more, quote-unquote, upside as opposed to a guy like Clayton Thorson, for example, the quarterback out of Northwestern who started a bunch of games, or Daniel Jones, the quarterback at Duke, who started 35, 36 games in his career. Um, so, look, the bottom line is, is that one year of tape tantalizing enough and, and all those highlights you see him throwing touchdown passes and, and running downfield, making plays with his feet, is, is that good enough to convince you that he can come into the league and transition much like Baker Mayfield did in his rookie year where he broke the touchdown passing uh, record for rookie quarterbacks? Could Kyler Murray have a similar transition? That's what probably a lot of teams are contemplating in their mind right now. So, Brady, um, NFL, right, obviously the quarterback position has kind of been revolutionized. Offenses uh, are starting to change right before our eyes. And so, you know, the running back position also, there's been a change in the style of running back that comes out. So talk to us about, you know, how the drills there at the combine will reflect that. What will be people be looking at in terms of the testing and the on-field performance for some of these running backs? Yeah, so the testing is a testing. It's, it's remained the same. Um, I think people have started to realize that if a guy runs a 4-5 or maybe even a 4-6, guy like Le'Veon Bell, for example, you're not necessarily pushing him to the wayside because, you know, he's not running a straight line 40 yards 
almost ever in his career. So as long as he's got that good initial burst in the 10 yards, and then when you look at some of the other drills, whether it's the 5-10-5, the L drill, um, and, and then when they actually go through their on-field workouts, when you're watching them, if you feel like they've got good short space quickness, change direction, and all the things you're looking for in that regard, you're okay with maybe a little bit of a slower 40 time, but the one component now is catching the football. And, you know, there's, there's some offenses in college football that force um, these running backs to catch the football more out of the backfield, whether it's in the screen game or just releasing out. Uh, I do think they're more prepared now than ever in, in the transition, uh, at least in pass protection, because there's so many spread offenses where the running back then is incorporated in, the, in, in pass pro. So they're more prepared in that respect. But you look at guys like Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley and James White, Alvin Kamara, those guys are all looked at as mismatches on the field when they split out or when they release out of the backfield. Every NFL team's trying to find that guy now in this year's draft. That's why everyone's so high on Josh Jacobs because he really does have a complete game when you look at his ability to run the football, but also catch the football and even track it downfield. So um, that, that's the key. I mean, that's the biggest mismatch too we're seeing right now in the NFL. If you're a team preparing for a defense and you're saying, where do we feel like we can win a one-on-one matchup? It's going to be your running backs versus those linebackers or safeties who decide to cover them. So that's why everyone's trying to, in, in a copycat league, Mimic what, mimic what you see in the New Orleans Saints with Alvin Kamara or the Carolina Panthers with Chris McCaffrey and the New York Giants taking a guy like Saquon Barkley. Um, no one like that in this year's draft as far as Saquon Barkley, how he tested, how he performed. Uh, Josh Jacobs may be the only first-round running back taken in it, but he definitely has the ball skills in order to be able to transition in the NFL and be that mismatch that teams are looking for. Uh, you mentioned Josh Jacobs, and there's a lot of comparisons to Alvin Kamara. Like, where would Josh Jacobs be Five years ago, if we took him, the player, the prospect, Brady, five years ago, where the NFL maybe hasn't embraced it, like the list we gave you is all pretty recent guys right now. We, we have the same buzz about a guy like JJ? Um, you know, probably not, um, but there's a couple reasons for that. And, and for starters, I don't really compare him to Alvin Kamara. I don't, I don't see that quite as much. I think people just kind of look at the skill set and they immediately say, okay, he, he, he looks like he could be Alvin Kamara. I, I don't see that quite as much on film, not only just as a runner looking at his frame and everything else and the, me, the measurables when I see him, um, but, but I do think he can do similar things to what Alvin Kamara can do. I, I think there's... A thought that that's helped open it up for guys who catch the football well. I just, I just, I just think they want running backs who are more well-rounded uh, because of a lot of the schematic advantage that come with that. But I think five years ago the difference was for a guy like Josh Jacobs who really only played one year and, and shared a backfield with Damian Harris at Alabama, who's also here at the Combine, and Najee Harris, who eventually we'll be talking about coming uh, to the Combine from Alabama. Uh, so maybe you would have looked at him and said, well, you know, we don't really know what to expect out of him because he doesn't have quite as many carries uh, as what we're accustomed to seeing. But I think now teams are looking at saying, no, 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 he just has less wear and tear. He'll be fresher when we take him and we play him uh, as a rookie or, or going into his rookie deal throughout those years. So it's almost become a plus now, whereas maybe in the past people have been a little bit more hesitant just because there's not as much tape on that player. Brady, give us some of the guys, some of the prospects that you're most excited to see there. Yeah, I mean, it just depends which position group. I mean, obviously I'm really excited to, to see the quarterbacks throw because the question becomes if Kyler Murray's not throwing and performing, what does everyone else look like? You know, is this an opportunity to potentially, if you're Dwayne Haskins, um, who I believe is the number one overall prospect at the quarterback position, uh, ahead of Kyler Murray. Uh, so he doesn't really have much to gain in my opinion, but he wants to do it because he wants to compete and he wants to showcase his skill set to everyone. Uh, but then it's Drew Locke. 
Daniel Jones. Can these guys all of a sudden kind of jump up in the in the back of the minds of, of some of these evaluators by taking the risk of throwing at the combine? And there is a risk that comes with that. Um, talking with a couple of general managers yesterday, they kind of said, you know, we don't really put a lot of stock into it. We really don't because they're throwing to guys in T-shirt and shorts without a rush to guys they've probably never uh, thrown to before, so they have no rapport with. They said, but at the end of the day, when you're throwing – on air and you see a ball hit the ground, it immediately kind of gives you a bad taste in your mouth. So um, the perception of that player may change a little bit if he doesn't throw well. So there is a little bit of a risk to it, uh, not quite as much of a reward. But nonetheless, there will be an opportunity for a couple of these guys to throw. And I think that's so much the top five that we showed. Uh, but for a guy like Ryan Finley at NC State, who people thought coming into this past year maybe would be a guy who could be considered in the first round. And after not, you know, not having the great, a great season, a disappointing performance versus some of the better teams on NC State's schedule, I think now he has some room to make up. Throwing well at the combine could help make up for some of that. Or a guy like Jordan Tamu, who is from Ole Miss, a guy who's got a strong arm, threw to a really good wide receiver. People are wondering was it DK Metcalf and AJ Brown or, or or was it Jordan? Which one was the better two? So there, there's a number of guys who are going to be at the combine who want to show something and prove something. These NFL scouts and, and talent evaluators. Brady, a couple of newsy things uh, before we let you go here, and let's talk about sort of the Jets being open to shopping around that third overall pick. What a difference a year makes. This time last year, they actually had to trade up to three to get Sam Darnold, of course. And now, when you have that franchise quarterback. And it's a bad team. You're looking to compile picks and, and complete the, the overhaul of the roster there. What do you think about uh, the Jets maybe passing up on, on a premier edge-rushing guy at number three and perhaps going down in the draft to accumulate more picks? Look, I mean, at this point in time, you can't never, you can't believe anything you hear, right? Uh, there's a saying, you know how I know you're lying because your lips are moving. And then that's kind of the, the basis of everything here at the combine right now. Everyone's open to any, everything until they're not. Uh, there's a lot made in the past couple of days about the, the comments of general manager Steve Kahn with the Arizona Cardinals about Josh Rosen and the potential of them potentially taking Kyler Murray. So with the New York Jets, I would have it, it would be very hard for me to believe that they'd be willing to trade back and feel like they could get a player with, to the caliber of Josh Allen, the outside linebacker, edge rusher from Kentucky. You're just not going to find that guy again. Um, so if you can get him at three, you stay put, you get one of those premier edge rushers. But again, that's just my evaluation. They might feel differently about this group. And they might say, you know, Josh Allen's really good, but Brian Burns out of Florida State, too, is another guy that we feel like we could take, and he could come in and do just about as good of a job. So uh, the margins of difference are a lot smaller, I think, in the minds of a lot of these a lot of these teams. So, of course, they're going to be open to trying to trade down, accumulate more draft picks and for the team like the Jets they need a lot of help so they could use the additional draft picks so why not float it out there to a team uh, like the Jacksonville Jaguars like the New York Giants both teams who are kind of targeted as teams that you know in the Giants case have a quarterback but maybe looking at drafting one Jacksonville Jaguars could very well sign Nick Foles but would probably look at drafting one as well so it makes sense that they would float that out there at this point in time because they have time now to put together the framework and the structure of a potential trade come draft day. All right, that's our Brady Quinn from Indy joining us here on HQ. People on the pod can't see it, but Brady with the camel sweater, I'm feeling it today. Yeah. <laughs> so good stuff as always, my friend. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, you're looking good. What can I Thanks, say? Thanks, guys. 
chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, back here, Canell and Bell. Let's talk about Bryce Harper. It was funny because, um, so we got some Philly folk here. Yeah, in the was... newsroom, right? And then also in, in the control room too. Um, it was funny because I was, I was wishing that we would have been able, like, fire festival doc style, like, been able to, to chronicle and tape their conversations. Cause, right. Man. Bryce Harper don't want to be a Philly. He's got this West Coast bias. Are we going to get him? I don't know. And then all of a sudden throughout the day, it keeps going until, right. boom, 13 years, $330 million, and everything changes. And you take a look at that deal and you hear that. What do you think? Um, damn, that's a lot of bread. <laughs> and that's a, and that's some security in terms of where you're going to be for 13 years, right? Full no trade. Um, there are no ops in the, in the deal. Like that, that's a long time to be locked into something is my initial reaction. Also to the fans here in the Philly offices that would be, I mean, in the offices that are Philly fans that would be kind of riding the emotional wave, that's a true Philly fan to me, right? That's true to form. So here's what I'll say to Bryce. Congratulations. Like, you got the bag. It worked out. It seems like you got where you wanted to be at the end of the day anyway. Uh, the Giants had a deal on the table, 12 years, 210. You said it would have averaged out a little bit more per year. But you got the 13th year, and it seems like that's where you wanted to be. Don't go in there and be in a slump. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Oh, Don't roll out in I mean, Philly. They booed Gabe Kapler like the out first in week of last season. Correct. I mean, look here. All right, can we go to the the the? the or I usually say the Coca Cam, but we got the the director in the control room out there. Eric, our, our Philly guy. I mean, let's get him on board. But let me break down the numbers. Of course, the the Dodgers were going to offer more, but they didn't want to do the long term deal. The Giants. Now we know Bob Nightingale puts out twelve years, three hundred ten million, which actually would have been a higher AAV, but obviously California taxes and all that stuff. So he ends up being a Philly. Look. Let me say something because I know I, I make jokes a lot about like my lack of baseball knowledge, and I am not a baseball purist. Right. Um, but the Phillies have something cooking now with Bryce Harper, right? Like they got J, J, uh, what's his name, uh, JT, Real, JT Mucho. Real Mucho, the catcher from the Marlins, right? You still got Reese Hoskins out there in the outfield. You got Odubel Herrera. Um, Bryce Harper, not for nothing, lends a nice left-handed bat to a lineup that was full of righties. Do you think that they can can contend now in the NL East at least? Well, here's the thing too. It's like I mean, I still like Atlanta in the yeah. division, and that's going to be the thing. Like they've put themselves in a position now. Most of their guys are south of 30 years of age. I mean, Bryce is still, I think, like I mean, look at him. He's 26 years right. old, and he's, he's in the prime of his career. Um, so they're they're still having to contend with, with what's going to be um, a division that that you know. They're going to have to prove themselves to win, but they have now the pieces. And to your point, now they're all in. I mean, ownership is going all in. They're going with this 13 years, $330 million uh, type thing. There was a couple of things here, uh, confusion over like the opt-out you talked about. So right. Ken Rosenthal was talking about it and said conflicting accounts on whether Harper asked for an opt-out from Philly. Sources in his camp say they did not request an opt-out. And Harper didn't want one. However, a Philly source told him with direct knowledge that the opt-outs were indeed discussed. So as a player, you obviously you talk about 13 years, you're a Philly for life. What do you think some of those conversations were like? Because I'm sure Scott Boris was like, maybe give us a little bit of a, of a chance here. Yeah, I mean, look, as a player, you always want the flexibility to opt out. 
right? Like you, you want the option if you're outplaying the number or if, if for some reason, like, you know, the, 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 the money explodes in baseball to another, to another level and, and this becomes a pedestrian contract. You always want the ability to opt out. Let's say, you know, things don't go well. They're not in a winning situation. Uh, Philly decides they're going to put everything on the scrap heap and now you're the only one sitting there after five years of this deal and, and winning's not a priority anymore in Philly, right? You want the option to be able to get out of that and do something else. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, 13 years, 330 million. If you told me I'd have to take that and I couldn't have the opt, okay, let's do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that money is ridiculous. So I don't think, you know, obviously the the, the option, if you're going to give it to me, I want it. Like, I might make that a source of, like, I might make it a sticking point for a while. But at the end of the day, that's just one of those things that you can concede and give the other side a win if you're getting 13 years, $330 million. Here's one of the – the interesting thing about this deal, though, too, is, like, he's probably the – "Quote unquote superstar of Major League Baseball, maybe the only one, right? Because like Manny Machado is a good player, but you wouldn't consult. Like it's funny when we do updates and when we categorize the word or the term superstar, right? Very hesitant in baseball to throw that. It's around, hard right? to do that because like in baseball. basketball, there's there's all stars, but not every all star is a superstar, correct? Right? And and there are some actually non all stars that are superstars, like like Zion. If we talk about college basketball, he's a superstar, yes. right? All right, and we talk about R.J. Barrett, might be the best player, right? But correct. He's a star, correct? Not a superstar. So with Bryce Harper, though, I'm looking at his numbers last year, 249 average, not good, 34 homers, and he just got to 100 RBI. So what I'm saying is they are getting, you know, when the Giants were talking about signing him to a 10-plus year deal, it was more box office. It was like he's going to attract, you know, get people to the seats. And if they go on the road, obviously you get that element to it. But are you really getting the best player in baseball if you're paying for it? That's a different argument. That is a different argument, and I I don't have the answer because I don't watch enough baseball. But I did hear that – them stretching this out for 13 years to the $330 million tune leaves them a little flexibility in the upcoming years when Mike Trout's available. Because you just talked about stars, and that's another guy. Like, he's not a superstar in terms of, Trout's like, the, the marketability and stuff like that. But, right. Um, so if the Phillies were able to, make, uh, like, retain flexibility to a point where they could maybe go out and make a swing at, at, at Mike Trout, and you could land two of those dudes. I mean, I know this is perfect world scenario, like, if we get to have our cake and eat it too. But, you know, good for them. Like, it's a great deal for... For um, Bryce, obviously, but it could be a good deal for the six. I mean, for the uh, for the Phillies. Hey, as well. Raja, just real quick, like, what do you think? If you, I don't even know if you know the answer. It could be a little more complicated than that. But what do you think basketball does right that baseball does wrong when it comes to marketing these superstars? Yeah, that's a. I I think just generally the sport itself um, is more exciting. You know, people are more tuned in. Um, there's way more social media activity. Um, the league promotes individualism, like sometimes in the NBA, almost to a fault where like, I, I have to say to my teams, like, look, it's a team game. Like this isn't a one guy show, but the NBA almost brands it like that. You know, stars win games. And so, um, you know, you become way more familiar with NBA names and, and you get to see their highlights. They're more household names. I think the NBA does a lot of things across the branding of their players and allowing them to be individuals. Uh, they do better job of that than Major League Baseball the does. players embrace it. They're all over social media. Their, their, their fan base is of the type millennials, and we joke about that all the time, but I mean, that's just like Instagram and yeah. Twitter and all these things that we track, and then, you know, there's that page house of highlights that everyone loves too, and with baseball, it is a six-month grind. You're playing every single day. It's yeah. hard to, like, take a day off and go, I'm going to do this photo shoot. Or I'm gonna go do this commercial, or I'm gonna, and you can do it on the off season. But that's some of the things that, my, you know, when they were talking about it last year, you know, when they did it during the All Star break, was like, why isn't Mike Trout your best player, putting himself out there? And he does like a couple of subway commercials or whatever, but right? It's just because you don't have the time, and if he doesn't want to do it, he's making all that money, and they're making all this guaranteed money. There's really no point in, in you know, 
putting out more superstars, so to speak. All right, so moving on to, we'll stay in Philly, but move on to to some hoops talk here. Yeah. The Sixers beat the Thunder for the first time in 20 tries. That's crazy to me. I, I saw that crazy. come across the screen. I had no idea that it had been that long. And it's just, just a weird, one of those weird, um, you know, stats that you got there. So no Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. no Paul George. Um, I took the over of 239. I thought there'd be a lot of points. There wasn't. It was 108-104. Sixers, though, three and one since the All-Star break. Um, no Joel Embiid for all of that. Tobias Harris continues to ball out. Um, again, what are we starting to learn about the Sixers a little bit? Of course, uh, very active at the trade deadline. Well, I was wrong because I thought that the Joel Embiid uh, subtraction after the All-Star break would, would kind of wind up setting them back down the road. Um, it, it hasn't. Like, it is allowed Tobias Harris to come in there and really, you know, take the reins offensively. Like, he, he you know, he, I don't know what his numbers stack up against, like, uh, Jimmy Butler's, but... Um, he is clearly in their plans offensively, and he's a matchup nightmare when he's out there with fours. Because really, he's a you know he's a tweener. He's more of a three than a four, but he gets a four matchup a lot of nights because you got you know you got Ben Simmons on the ball. So it's been great for him. Um, I also think you see the fruits right away of like uh, the Jonathan Simmons addition. That's going to be huge. Oh, yeah, Mike Scott made some big shots down the stretch. So the subtraction of Joel Embiid allowing some of these new pieces to really get out there and earn their stripes as a sixer and really try to fit in with the rest of the guys out there. They develop that trust so that when Embiid comes back, those guys trust Tobias to close. They trust Mike Scott to hit big threes. I think it's been a really good look for the Sixers, and I think they become you know that much more dangerous uh, going down the stretch leading into the playoffs. Uh, so you know where I'm going to go with next because it's like anytime we have this kind of conversation like the Celtics had with Kyrie, right. with or without Kyrie, and you get asked about it, HQ. No, 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 no. Here's no, the no, Embiid. No, 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 no. Without no. Embiid. I mean, you know, look, when he does come back, again, uh, when we're talking about peak Philly, right? Where do they rank for you in the East? Um, yeah, I mean, they they have to be. You know, I haven't seen them play with this lineup against Milwaukee or Toronto. Um, and and those would be my three top teams in in the East right now. Like Boston would be in a category kind of by themselves, right behind that group. Um, I think they're right there. I think with this this set of players when they're playing well, they could win the East. So I'm putting like Milwaukee is still like. Milwaukee and Toronto might be my favorites just because I haven't seen the Sixers play them with with this new set of players. But I, that that group of three, um, that would be a hell of a playoff series if any of them uh, wind up getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. So Philly snaps a 19-game losing streak to the Thunder, first win in 20. And they haven't played anybody with Joel without Joel Embiid. Like, let's can we be clear on that? Like, they haven't really played anybody post All Star break, right? They played the Thunder last night without possibly the league MVP. Correct. You know, and and and. So, like, let's just pump the brakes. Yeah, pump the brakes on the Joel Embiid thing. All right, uh, real quick, one OKC, you know, before we go, I, you know, where are they at? You know, Paul George, we're talking about, you know, could be league MVP. A lot of people say they may be the best threat to the Warriors in the West. Yes or no? Um, I think Houston, when Houston's playing well, they probably have a better chance just because I've seen that before. I've seen them push them to the brink, and I don't know that the Warriors have beaten Houston this season, so there's yeah, enough three, of a, there's enough of a sample good. size there for me. But Oklahoma City is a dangerous, a dangerous team because you've got two people that can go get you buckets whenever you need buckets. Uh, I do think that the Westbrook not shooting the ball well from three thing is becoming an issue for me. It wasn't a couple weeks ago, but then I saw it last night and I'm like, man, you know, he's got to be able to make some jump shots, especially in the playoffs. But they've got a good supporting cast as well. Uh, so they are a dangerous team. I've said it all year long. If you catch them in a playoff series, um, you know, 
strap up because it's going to be a long one. All right, let's talk about the Houston Rockets. You had to come back from a double-digit deficit to beat the Miami Heat. By the way, shout-out to the Heat. They beat the Warriors at home. Then on the back-to-back, they go to H-Town, and they build this lead with D-Wade, Kelly Olenek, uh, and company. But in the end, it's the Rockets who beat the Heat 121-118. to 118. Harden goes for 50. Eight, the Beard, <laughs> 8 of 18 for 3. 8 of 10 of 18 from the free-throw line. Yeah. And before that, he was only 1 of 21 from behind the arc in the previous two games, your biggest biggest takeaway from last night was what? Yeah, the law averages are going to catch up. Like they are going to they're, they're going to work themselves out. So if a shooter or a scorer like James Harden is having three or four off nights, you better be on alert if you're the team that he's playing next because eventually he's going to explode. Um, and and r- real talk, I've said this on the on on the show before. He's an impossible guard. He just is. I don't know what you would do if I, if I had to guard him now. I guarded him, you know, when he was OKC and he was the third option, right? You had Russ, you had yeah, Kevin Durant. So there was only so much he was going to get to do. But even in those little brief moments of him coming in as a sixth man and getting ISO situations, it was tough to guard him. Now with the like ultra green light, everybody spaced out and him dancing uh, with the ball. I just don't know how you would guard him. It's almost impossible. And I would go, I would go as far as to say, like I've heard people say he's the hardest individual, like, like ISO score ever. I might put him up there. He's definitely in the conversation because it's what he can do with the ball and creating space to get his shot off is pretty remarkable. You're not the only one. That's what Dwayne Wade said after the game. He says he's one of the most unguardable uh, ever, and so you're putting him also in that category. Uh, slight tangent, though, on, on the, before we go to break, just the, the Harden thing because you talk about his time at OKC and everyone always looks back and said, man, how could you break that up with Rush and KD and Harden? It's just like... He wouldn't be this player today in no. OKC, right? No, the platform wasn't there for him to spread his wings and 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 become this offensive like virtuoso. Like he again, they were rolling him in as the sixth man, and yeah, he got buckets in that six man role. But then you're coming right back with KD and Russ, and the ball is there. So no, the platform uh, and and the and the area to grow was, was not provided there in OKC. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Time to talk hockey. Yes. Yes. Hockey. However, not, not stuff on the ice. It's uh, it's about a player who spent. I can talk one timers, bro. I know one timers. I know shift change. Power play. I know power play. I know all of that. Yes. Dang, we're all right, good. My all bad. Right. I didn't mean to sell you short there. <laughs> but uh, so John Tavares, a longtime New York Islander, yep. in the offseason went to Toronto. So he goes back for the first time. And boy, nine seasons with the Islanders. You come back to Long Island, no less. And let's just say he wasn't given the best uh, welcome and some trader chance. And there's him, of course, uh, Tough. as uh, on the ice there. And he did acknowledge the crowd. And they did also do a, a video tribute as well. But I was looking at some social media video, and people were booing him. There were they were throwing out some snakes that yeah. were not that were not given away. <laughs> You see his old jersey being tossed yeah. as well. So, again, his return to long a number one overall pick in 09. He comes back, and uh, and then to make things worse, for at least for his team, they got rocked. The Islanders ended up winning 6-1. Um, I, listen, man, I, I there's no room in sport. While I appreciate that hockey's kind of got a different culture, like and they throw things on the ice and do stuff like that, so I'm okay with that. And I am a big fan of Long Island. Like, my wife's family's from there. I think they're great people. Um, I Just, like... Why? They gave you nine years. Like, do you know what I mean? I know your feelings are hurt, but he's a professional. And, and I, I get that, like, fan comes from fanatics. So people are like, when their team is involved, they are not rational and they are, they are just completely, you know, they got their blinders and their goggles on. But like, if a guy gives you nine years of good service, right. um, 
you know, good for the organization for recognizing that and, and showing a tribute video. Do you know what I mean? And then the rest of the fans, like, I, I think it's a shame, but I get it. I He's get it. He's not burning his jersey, Correct. I guess. Uh, also, chanting late in the game, it's your bedtime, wear your jammies. <laughs> Again, when you're winning 6-1, yeah. you can throw shade as much as you want. Now, some of that's fun, but I got, like, listen, the throwing of things, like, on the ice, I guess, is different, right? Because people do that. Like, they throw what? Like, the, the squid out there or the octopus? Yeah, and, Detroit, and, yeah. Like, so, like, okay. But when a dude's walking through the tunnel and you start and you're throwing stuff at him, like that's a, that's a dangerous kind of situation. I, I I don't love that. Where are you at? You mentioned uh, it was great that the organization did the video tribute. Yeah. Where are you at with video tributes? Like, do you think if the, like let me just and I don't know. This, okay. Like, what if what if John Tavares said, "Nah, I'm good." On the video tribute. Okay. Like, like I, I do it? No, if because if, it's like when it's like when Kawhi went back to San Antonio, when Demar just went back. Sure. To like for instance. You know, DeMar would probably appreciate it, obviously, because he loved Toronto, wanted to be a Raptor for life. Right. Uh, Kawhi, I don't really think as much, obviously. So you, you think it should be player optional? Like, where are you at with video? So I remember, think remember if, IT if back a, in Boston? Yeah, if a player has done enough for the organization, has had a meaningful impact, it, it doesn't really matter the tenure. If, if the fans, if, if there was a love affair between the fans and the player, do you know what I mean? And he meant that much to the organization. And as an organization, you decide that you want to do a tribute video for him. I support it 100%. Now, if that player comes back and says, hey, listen, man, like, you know, it's going to be too emotional for me. I'd rather you not do that. Then I would hope that the organization, because you're you're doing something for him. So if he says, with all due respect, I'd really rather you not do that, I would hope that the organization would say, hey, look, all right, we're not going to do it. You know what I mean? The gesture was there. We wanted to respect you and, 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 and show our gratitude. But if you don't want it, we don't want to do it to you. Like, I would hope that that would be the relationship. Uh, but I don't really know. I think with him too, nine years is a long time. It's worthy of a, a video tribute. Yeah, uh, you know, in the NBA we're getting a little, we were getting a little cute a little bit with some of the video. Tri- yeah, the two year like, videos. Like, yeah, like, like we've been two here two years, years or less or something. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? So right. uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if that ever happens again. And then you know, in hockey, you know, different little bit of culture there, but uh, a little bit of appreciation for a guy that's been there for almost a decade. All right, so moving on to. The Indiana Pacers, they continue to play well despite not having Victor Oladipo. I know the West Matthews edition has been nice, but here we go. Um, have an open-door policy when it comes to discussing players' upcoming free agency, etc. So th- I guess it's a little bit different, right? So Nate McMillan and then President Kevin Pritchard um, and the GM2 Chad Buchanan, they've got this sort of Hey, my door's always open. Come on mm-hmm. in. Let me do mm-hmm. you right. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think? I, I can already sense a little bit of... A lot of dudes tell you they have an open door policy. All right? That doesn't mean they're telling you everything. It doesn't mean they're 100% forthright. So what I would say to that is, yeah, sure, dude. Like, that's great. You can go in there. You can talk about your upcoming free agency. They'll tell you whatever they can tell you without showing their hand. Because at the end of the day... Like, they're going to do what's best for them. And they might not tell you that up front. If it doesn't serve them to tell you that up front, they're not going to tell you that up front, regardless of what the Pacers say. So, yeah, you may have the ability in that organization to feel free enough um, and to feel as a, a part enough of the organization to go in and have these conversations. And that might have some equity with players. Like, that might make them feel like they are a part of this company. Do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, if the company decides that it's worth it to keep you moving and bring in something else, they probably aren't going to tell you that in that meeting. Do you know what I mean? They're just not. Because yeah. um, that can affect your on-court performance. They can't tell you. Listen, they can't tell you, hey, no, we don't have no plans for you in the future, and then expect for you to go out there and continue to play for Nate McMillan in a playoff push. It doesn't work like that. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got plans for you in the future. You know what I mean? That's their job. Their job isn't to tell you everything up front. But I do want to touch on Nate McMillan um, and his ability to just 
continue to win games and plug and play with different guys even after the Oladipo injury and keep that team which like myself and most people thought would just com- completely fall out of the the standings in the Eastern Conference keep them afloat and keep them viable um that's pretty it's pretty outstanding the job he's done and he's got to be in consideration for coach of the year I know Budenholzer you know and and uh, Malone out in Denver and maybe even Jurger in Sacramento like those guys are going to be getting some real buzz for coach of the year but what Nate's been able to do what he's been able to do in Indiana has been amazing. So they've had at least five double-figure scores 53 times in 63 games. That's the highest in the league. And, again, they're 9-7 and seven since that Oladipo injury. It's interesting because, like, we talk about it with the Celtics and we talk about some other teams, like, when a star goes down, it is, though, a little bit easier, would you say, to, to, to have guys say you're going to plug in his minutes or you're going to come in and, and, and extend your role a, a little bit. It'll be interesting to see when they uh, they navigate through this season, and then when Oladipo comes back, how that changes and how that dynamic changes. Yeah, I think that they'll be fine when Oladipo comes back. They have a bunch of guys, and co- like by all accounts, Nick McMillan is a very, um, you know, he's a he's a good communicator, right? And he, and he has an ability to get guys to understand their role and kind of buy into their role. Now, your role changes when Oladipo goes out, so everybody takes a little bit of extra, you know, scoring load on their plate, and that's fine. But when Oladipo comes back, it's not going to be one of those things. Uh, that goes untalked about. So guys are, are in, there's a confusion about what your job is and who's going to do what. Like if you're a great communicator and you have these open lines of communication, th- everyone understands what their job is when Oladipo comes back. So I really don't see them missing a beat. You know what I do think is interesting is like last year, Oladipo was playing great. Sabonis was playing great. Like Paul George didn't really look like he fit in that great. And everybody was like, Oh my God, Indiana got the better of this trade. Like, how are they feeling about that now? <laughs> like seriously, no, I mean, like oh, okay, it's, see, it's funny how things. It, it really is. No, you're you're exactly right. And look, and again, we are all surprised that Indy's still right there in terms of the Eastern Conference standings. But I think when we get to playoff time, yeah. obviously they're not going to be able to to handle and get far in the postseason. They'll eventually kind of run into it. So the playoffs change. And I don't mean to like the the playoffs change because you have to have a guy in the playoffs. Like, you know that, that it's great. You got a bunch of guys that can do it by committee, but when the playoffs come and push comes to shove and people start scouting you and really taking away what you want to do and how you, yeah, then you have to have a guy who no matter what they do, he can get you buckets and get you over the hump and command respect from the officials when the game isn't ref the same way. You got to have a guy that can get you to the free throw line. Um, and, and guys will take note from an officiating perspective. And so that's where they'll fall short in the playoffs. So tonight. Is another edition of the shop. Mm-hmm. LeBron James got a couple of guys that go by the initials AB and AD. Which one are you most likely looking forward to tonight? The Davis complex or the Antonio Brown situation? I, I think I'm looking more forward to the Antonio, uh, Antonio Brown portion of the show. Like I've never really watched the shop. I watched tonight. Um, but I think Antonio's already been out there like telling it. You know what I'm saying? Like, whether we're hearing him or not, he's trying to tell you. You know, so I think there's a potential there for tonight for him to really let it all out. Just give up all of the, all of the goodies. I think AD is still going to be kind of guarded. Um, you know, he don't want to burn any bridges. There's a situation where he, you know, he's, he's trying to kind of facilitate and maneuver to get, 
you know, his desired destination at the end of the day. And I, you don't want to burn any bridges in the process or get anybody completely ticked off. And I think Antonio Brown's already off the reservation. He's just going to let you know. <laughs> he's going to let you know everything that's taking place and how he feels. So, yeah. you know, I'm excited to see what he's talking about. More so than Anthony Davis. Yeah. And so one of the big things that they were talking about, of course, is, is narrative. And I know it's a, a term that's been now thrown out this decade, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, take type shows and, and just sort of the book on some guy, old school guys would usually say. And, for Anthony Davis, again, you're talking about a top five, some would say top three player who spent his entire career out of Kentucky, kind of the good guy. And yeah. so far coming out of this whole season, not so much looking like a good guy anymore. How do you think this will all play out with him from a sort of perception? Yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, if he gets to a good team in a good situation and they can win, like no one will remember this. You know what I mean? Like it looks bad now. It's on the news cycle now. It's what's hot now. But at the end of the day, this is this, no one's going to remember this. Like if he can go somewhere and win, um, and not have any more problems. You know, he's never really had a problem, and this isn't really a problem. The guy just said he don't want to play in New Orleans anymore. Like I don't have a beef with that. Yeah. My only real problem with that is you made it like a public spectacle. You should have just went in and told Dell Demps and ownership that you don't want to play in New Orleans. Gave them your small list of teams that you wanted to play for. And told them to start working behind the scenes at facilitating that trade. Like everyone kind of wins in that scenario. They know you don't want to be here. They can start preparing for that. You didn't put them on blast in the media. You didn't make the city feel like it was beneath you and you didn't want to be there anymore. And you still get what you want. So like at the end of the day, I think AD will be fine, but I, the, he should just kept that private. I don't, I really don't know what Rich Paul and them thought they were going to. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I, you know, it'll probably end up working out, but I wonder what. Anthony Davis is going through since he really had Rich Paul now under his wing. Like I'm sure there are a few things that he was slightly uncomfortable with, or things that he is not nor- normally personality-wise. I don't think that they fit. Like the way Clutch handles their business and the way LeBron and them, they debo you. Like they come in and just I'm gonna make you do that. Like I'm gonna put you on blast in the media. I'm gonna make you do it. Like I'm gonna strong arm you until you do it. Like the Tristan Thompson situation with all the money the Cavs wind up giving him. Like well, we gave him. Like that was like the Clutch was like, yo, get that done. Like, and LeBron's sitting there as a free agent, like, you gonna get it done? Cause if you ain't gonna get that done, like, you know what I mean? Like, so that's why I'm asking. That's their you, style. I, I don't like think it's not him. I don't think that's AD's Obviously, style. Obviously, he linked up because it's a means to an end. Right. I, I just feel like there's some times where I'm sure AD a lot, like when LeBron hit that one legged jumper, he's like, right, 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 right. <laughs> Definitely not AD style, but at the end of the day, if they get, if they get you what you want, which is to be out of there and they get your desired, you know, destination and, and you win, uh, all of this goes away. Getting you to the weekend with some good stuff here on Canel and Bell. Ending one, Dirk Nowitzki. 21 years, one team, the Dallas Mavericks. And, boy, it's starting to feel like him and D-Wade have this sort of farewell tour. We know D-Wade for sure said it, but Dirk has not (laughs) come back from that uh, uh, ankle surgery. He's starting to feel good. So I'm obviously the all-star game balling out, and he's, he's starting to play a little bit more. Now, here's the funny thing. He... At that Clipper game, Doc Rivers toward the end had everybody thanking him. Yeah. And I said this on HQ with our girl Jenny Dell, and I was like, it's got to be awkward for him because I don't know if he really feels like it's goodbye. Yeah, this is this is really interesting to me because D-Wade has come out and said farewell tour. Right. Dirk has not. Jersey's doing the whole bit. Right. You know what I mean? And, and like, yeah, the Doc Rivers thing was interesting. Um the the M, like the NBA itself doing this like farewell like All Star nod to he and D Wade like what what happens if Dirk says he's playing again right you put him in the All Star game every year like no seriously what do you do with that like you just you, Dirk is like penciled into the All Star game every year it's really interesting to me but here's like Dirk if first of all 
I, I read his quotes about like, you know, I feel like I like a little more pep in my step. My legs in my wind are a lot better. That typically happens when you get in shape, right? I, I Dirk isn't playing fantastic. Like he's not, he's but and, and it's okay. Like Dirk has earned the right in that organization to probably play until he decides he doesn't want to play anymore. So if you still enjoy the grind, if you still enjoy the locker room, the trips, um, and that balance between doing that and your family and, 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 and maintaining a healthy family, uh, is it, still something that you're okay with. Then play. Like, why not? What else you got to do? Now, if you're, if you're, if you're the type of guy where your kids are older and you want to be around and you're missing games and stuff like that, and then that's when it's time to start shutting it down. When those priorities start to shift and you don't want to go through the NBA grind anymore, but as long as you love it, um, and your body can withstand just a little bit, uh, and the Mavs will have you, I got no beef with Dirk playing ball. And that's what he's saying. Quote, I think I'm going to make that decision later on, but I think the future's bright. I think Luca and KP, KP being Chris Stapp's Porzingis. For sure. If they stay healthy, stay together, they should be a great combo. And I think that's the only thing that would, if you're, again, to your point, if Dirk's able to play, he can actually enjoy from mostly the bench that yeah. see these two blossom. And, and you know, obviously them being Europeans and he's a, a German, you know, that kind of Look, ties it, tugs at his heartstrings a little bit. From a Mavericks perspective, you want Dirk there. Like you want him there to, to kind of teach these two young players who are both like, Kristaps may be more Dirk size than, than, than Luca. Uh, but neither one of them is a high flying, like put your nose on the rim type and type of athlete, right? Like Kristaps probably a little bit more than Luca, but you talk about a 6'11 guy who can shoot the ball, um, you know, can play on the perimeter. Like these are things that Dirk did better than anybody for a real long time. So to have him there to kind of, you know, mentor these guys and tutor them and, and have them be able to pick his brain about certain things that they're doing on the court during the season in real time, coming off the court yep. and asking Dirk Nowitzki, Hey, you just see that play? What happened? You know, what would you have done on a play like that? Like that's invaluable. You, you, whatever Dirk's salary is, like it's worth it to the Mavericks to pay that. So then it just becomes again, whether Dirk. Five million bucks. Yeah. Can, 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 uh, that's can manage guy, family man. life. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Or if he wants to be a consultant, he can do that too. So, uh, we got about a minute left. So let's play some NBA roulette this week. Yeah. Bucks at Lakers, Dubs at Sixers, Rockets at Celtics. Which game are you most juiced up for? Uh, probably the Rockets at the Seas, man. I want to see, uh, I want to see whether the Celtics can get this thing rolling there at home. The Bucks at the Lakers, um, is an interesting one to me as well. If the Sixers don't have Joel Embiid, and I'm not really too fired up about that. The Warriors are coming off two losses, so I think they're probably going to smack mm. the Sixers. Uh, Lakers must win, though, against the Bucks. I don't think they will. Must win against yeah. the Bucks? Yeah, I mean, they're in must win every game now. Like, they can't afford to be losing games. That's the, see, that's the worst part, because they'll probably gear up for this game, yeah. and if they win this game, and then they'll drop one to Memphis, or they'll drop one to Atlanta, and then they'll just, you know what I mean? Like, they did that against the Rockets. Came back 19 points down. That's the thing. They're up and down, and yeah. they're up for the good ones, and then they, well, they, they, they would have had probably, they should have to, five to seven more wins against lower-tier teams. To your point, coming out of the All-Star break, I said they had must-wins and need-to-wins, right? The need-to-wins were these games, so you're probably not going to beat them, but you need to, right? So if you don't, I'll forgive you that. But the must wins are like the Pelicans gotta beat. Suns are tomorrow night. Suns gotta beat them. Uh, Memphis the other night gotta beat them, right? And so you've given up on some of your must wins. So now some of these games become must wins. All right, thirty and thirty-one on the outside looking in. The Kings are not going to do them any favors. Yeah, Lips are not going to do them any favors. It's a dog fight. Another day for another time. The Spurs actually may end up falling out on themselves. They are not playing very good as of late. So yeah. that's it, man. Great weekend. Good stuff as always. No doubt, brother. All Appreciate right. that. Ken Ellen Bell. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll see you.